Thank you so much for joining us on this Mother's Day. Let me extend my happy Mother's Day wishes to all the moms and grandmoms and et cetera, et cetera as well, and hope you feel appreciated this morning. If you happen to be new to the church, uh, my name's Don. I'm one of the pastors on the team here at Grace. And if you're joining us, whether in person or online, we're just so glad that you chose to visit with us this morning if you did. We are finishing up the third week today of a short series we've been in called Family Foundations, where we're just really addressing some of how the grace of the gospel uh, affects our relationships in the family. And uh, today is our final installment in that. And we're going to be looking at a text today in Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. And Uh, The title of the message today is Forgiving Others. And you know, forgiving those who have hurt or offended us, particularly when those hurts are deep or repetitive, can, can really be one of the most challenging and difficult things to do in our Christian lives. And there's probably no place where this challenge is greater than with our closest family members. It is certainly true that the closer the relationship, the greater the potential for hurt and offenses to take place. It's it's the people we spend the most time with. It's the people we care about the most that have both the opportunity and the power to cause hurt and offense in our lives. And um, I remember a number of years ago when I worked down in Baltimore City, there was a co-worker who worked uh, with me on my job, and, and she was a fairly young Christian, and there would be times where we would kind of go to lunch together and just kind of talk about spiritual things, and I'd just try to encourage her in her new faith. And so one of these times when we were having lunch together, she, we were talking, and she just kind of hesitated for a moment and said, I feel like the Lord's kind of leading me to share something with you. And so I sat there really stunned, if you will, over the next several minutes as she, in a very calm, emotionless, matter-of-fact voice, began to share with me how over several years of her growing up that she had been sexually abused by her father And that when she had tried to tell her mother, her mother refused to believe her. And as I just sat there listening to this story, and I was struck by how there seemed to be just no no emotion in how she was sharing this. And so when she finished, I, I asked her, I said, well, how do you feel about all of this? How has this affected you? And She, in kind of a chipper tone, said, well, it really doesn't bother me. We talked about it, and it's all behind me now. I'm over it. And while her words sounded convincing, something just didn't feel right. And so not knowing what else to do, I just said, well, can I pray for you? And she said, sure. And so I prayed for her, and in my prayer, I asked that if there was anything kind of blocking or covering her being in touch with how this experience had affected her, that God in his grace and kind mercy might 
uncover that and help her to re to kind of connect with that reality. And so she thanked me very much, and I didn't see any effect to that, and she went back, and we went back to work, and about a half hour later, I got a call, and it was her, and she was an emotional wreck. Something had broken loose inside that was beginning to sort of connect all these things together in her soul, and And that would begin a period over several weeks where I don't think I've ever seen anybody go through as difficult an emotional time as she did. I I don't know how she came to work during that time. That in itself was just an incredible miracle of God's grace to me. But we continued to talk as I tried as best I could to try to encourage her and help her as she was trying to work through some of this. And As we talked, there came a point where I I said to her, I said, you know, you're going to have to forgive your father for what he did. And I remember when I told her that, that she was sitting at the table and her fists were clenched and she just stared straight ahead and she said to me, she said, I can't. He doesn't deserve it. And she wouldn't. She wouldn't at that point forgive her father for what had happened. Forgiving those who have hurt or offended us can certainly be one of the most difficult challenges that we can face. Yet, as those who have been forgiven by God, Jesus really leaves us no other option. And that's exactly what we see in our text for today in Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. And as we come to this passage, give you a little bit of context, Jesus is sort of instructing his disciples on how to work through conflicts and offenses that take place, particularly in the community of the church. And so he's telling them, you know, when someone sins against you, you you go and you talk to them. And if that can't work that out, you take somebody else with you. And if you still can't work it out, you get the church involved. And so as he's sort of walking through how to deal with these kinds of issues, Peter, in typical Peter fashion, comes up to him and Peter's thinking that this is an opportunity for him to be really impressive to Jesus and just his spiritual wherewithal. So in verse 21, the beginning of this, he says this. It says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. See, Peter is thinking he has hit this one out of the park because in the Jewish tradition of that day, you were required to forgive somebody up to three times. And after three times, all bets were off. And so Peter is thinking he's going way beyond what would normally be called for in his suggestion of seven times. But Jesus, as he so often does, completely turns the tables on Peter's thinking. As we look at verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. 
Some versions have 77. We're not exactly sure which, the, which is the right number. But whichever, Jesus isn't just upping the standard here from 7 to 77 or even 490. What he's saying is that forgiving others isn't about counting how many times someone has sinned against you. If we're keeping track of people's offenses against us, we've missed the whole point. See, forgiving others is to be the consistent practice of God's people, no matter how many times someone sins against us. Because those who have been forgiven are to live a lifestyle of forgiving others. And that's really the point Jesus is making. And and that's kind of the big idea of the message today. Those who have been forgiven are to live a lifestyle of forgiving others. And so in verses 23 through 35, Jesus tells a parable to illustrate and drive home this point. So before we dig into this parable. Let's take a moment and pray and ask God for his help this morning. Lord, as we come before you this morning, we, we are aware of just how challenging it can be to work through the issues when we are sinned against, when we are hurt, when we are offended. And so, Lord, I ask that your spirit would be here this morning in just the presence and power that only you can bring. And you would give grace, Lord, that if if this is a message that needs to speak to our hearts as individuals, Lord, you would bring clarity and revelation and understanding. And Lord, I pray that you would give me grace and fill me with your spirit that I might speak your truth accurately and faithfully, that you might be glorified and that your people this morning might be blessed and served well. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are two points that I want to draw from this parable that we're going to look at this morning. And the first one that I want to talk about is why we are to forgive others. So let's begin by looking at verses 23 through 27. Jesus said, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children And all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So Jesus begins this parable with the words, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to In other words, what he's saying is this is how things work in God's kingdom. This is how things are in the kingdom of God. And so in these verses, we are introduced to this servant who owes an unimaginable debt to the king, 10,000 talents. 
And we don't know exactly how much that is in today's money, but an estimate might be in the neighborhood of $6 billion. So maybe if you're Elon Musk or somebody, that doesn't sound like a lot, but the point is that for those people that Jesus is talking to in this moment, and for those of us sitting here in this room, this is an infinitely greater debt than could ever hope to be repaid. And we're not told how he accumulated such an immense debt, but it seems to be that he has mismanaged his responsibilities to the king or the king's resources because this is a debt that he owes to the king. And this is a debt that he has no hope to ever repay, and it has come due. And he is about to be justly punished by the king. He is, he's going to lose everything. He will be sold into the bondage of slavery. His family is going to be sold into slavery as well. He has no hope to ever be free because he can never repay what he owes to the king. Everything he is and has is lost. And he is helpless to do anything to fix this situation. And so he throws himself down before the king and he pleads for mercy. He says he'll repay, but the king knows that's impossible. And but the king, instead of giving him what he justly deserves, chooses to have mercy on him Instead, And in his compassion, he forgives him completely and releases him. I mean, he didn't just extend his time to repay. I mean, that would have been hopeless anyway. But he gives him complete freedom. No conditions. No hesitations. And the king himself absorbs the cost of his debt and cancels it. And in an act of incredible grace, he forgives this servant completely and lets him go free. I mean, if you were in this servant's shoes, can you, can you just imagine what, what a life-changing moment that would have been? I mean, to go from everything being lost to being completely free, I mean, what, what joy that must have caused it. Just hard to get your head around that. But you see, in this parable, Jesus is saying to Peter, he says, Peter, this servant is you. And if we've trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, that servant is every one of us sitting here or sitting at home this morning. You see, this parable is really speaking about our sins and offenses against God. This is our debt before God. The six billion that is being talked about here is what we owe, an infinite debt that we could never repay. And we are accountable to the king, just like this servant, for that debt. 
And the king would be perfectly righteous to give us justly what we deserve, just like he was going to do with that servant. And yet, just like the servant in this story, God didn't give us what we deserve. He gave us mercy and grace instead. When we deserve to be judged justly and sentenced for the debt we owed for all the times in our thoughts and our words and our deeds that we had dishonored him, disobeyed him, rebelled against him, ignored him, done our own thing instead of what he would want, all the countless times, the debt that we owed, he should have given us justice but gave us mercy instead. Instead of giving us what we deserve, he made a way to cancel our debt. He sent Jesus, his son, into this world to be a savior for us, where Jesus came to pay that debt on our behalf. And he, Jesus lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He had no debt that he owed. But yet he gave his life for us. He went to a cross to take our place that he might take our debt upon himself and pay the full cost of it so that we might have our debt canceled just like in this story. The king absorbs the debt that we owed so that it could be canceled on our behalf. And by trusting in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we can be completely forgiven like this servant and set free from the horrors of an eternity in hell, which is far worse than any human slavery described in this story. See, that's us in this parable. Let's continue on in verses 28 through 30. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. So this same servant who has just been so graciously forgiven of this massive debt, he finds a fellow servant who owes him a hundred denarii. Now, a hundred denarii, it's no small sum. It was about four months wages in that day. So it might be the equivalent of maybe twelve to fifteen thousand dollars. So not insignificant. But it is nothing compared to what he has just been forgiven. I mean, think about it. 12,000 versus 6 billion. That's not much comparison between those two. Yet, Yet his response to his fellow servant is quite different than how the king treated him. He grabs the guy and starts choking him, demanding that he pay what he owes. And despite this other servant pleading for mercy, almost exactly as he had done before the king, 
he refuses to forgive the debt and has him thrown into prison. I mean, even though he had received this unbelievable mercy and grace from the king, he insists on giving this other person exactly what he feels he deserves for the debt he owes. And so he refuses to forgive his debt and instead seeks to deal out justice on this other man for how he has wronged him. And he wants, he wants to punish him for his wrong. I mean, think about it. He, he certainly can't pay back the debt if he's in prison, can he? And so he is unwilling to forgive his fellow servant. And so see, the, the question is, the question for Peter, the question for us, is that the way that we have treated those who have sinned against us or hurt us in some way in our hearts. I mean, maybe it's those in our natural families who have hurt or offended us in some way. Maybe it's those in your church family or those you work with or others. Do we want to give people what we feel they deserve instead of forgiving them and giving them grace and mercy? Do we seek to punish them by holding on to resentment and bitterness towards them? Do we seek to deal out our own form of justice to those who have hurt or offended us by harboring resentment and bitterness in our hearts, by perhaps tearing them down with our words, withdrawing from our relationship with them, treating them with a bit more coldness when we interact with them? Do we see our hearts in this picture of this servant in verses 28 through 30. Is this how we have responded to someone who has hurt or sinned against us? And in verses 31 through 34, we see the king's response. So let's look at those verses. It says, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So when the king hears of what this servant has done, he is outraged at his actions. How he has treated his fellow servant is terribly wrong in view of the incredible mercy that he has received. And even the other servants, as they watch this unfold, they know this is wrong. It says they were greatly distressed and they went and told the king all that had happened. And so the king calls him to account for what he's done. And really the key point of this parable is found in verse 33. In verse 33 it says, And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I had mercy on you. 
You see, this servant, he, he ignored the incredible mercy and forgiveness that he had received. I mean, it's hard to fathom that he didn't remember it, but whether he remembered it or not, I don't know, but he certainly didn't appreciate it. And the grace he received didn't affect him in a way that he was willing to extend that same grace and forgiveness to others. You see, he should have had mercy on others because of the mercy he received. And this is, this is really the key to being able to forgive those who have sinned against you or hurt you in some way. The key is to see and be deeply aware of the mercy that has come to you through Christ and what he has done for you. And that grace and mercy is to motivate us to extend mercy and forgiveness to others. The Apostle Paul says it in Colossians 3, verses 12 and 13. He says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You see, we who have received such amazing forgiveness, we, we must not forget that the 10,000 talent debt was our debt. How can we not forgive those who fail to pay us a few hundred denarii and how they have hurt or offended us? And the forgiveness that we received, it removed the debt of all our sins and offenses against God without exception. That's what the king said in verse 32. He said, I forgave you all that debt. And our forgiveness towards others should be the same. This is why Jesus says, no, Peter, it's not seven times. It's 70 times Seven. See, we're to live a lifestyle of forgiving others because God has so completely and ultimately forgiven us. And to not forgive others in view of the incredible grace and forgiveness that has come to us is really the height of ingratitude and injustice. Jesus says in verse 32, he says, it's, it's wicked. It's evil to do that. And those who live a lifestyle of unforgiveness toward others, Jesus tells us in this parable that it raises the question of whether they have truly received God's forgiveness themselves. Because no servant who has been forgiven so much should respond like that. And please understand, I, I am in no way minimizing the hurt and pain that we can experience through what others have done and the wrongs that we experience from other people. I mean, the, the young lady that I was referring to, I, I couldn't imagine someone who's experienced a more difficult hurt and pain in their life than she did. 
And yet, even in the face of that, God takes very seriously that his people should represent and reflect his grace and forgiveness in how they treat others. See, Jesus says that's the way things are in the kingdom of God. Forgiving others is required of every Christian. Because in verse 35, Jesus applies the point of this parable to every one of us. It says in verse 35, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. See, verse 35 says that every one of us is called to forgive others. And that means you, and that means me. No matter how badly we've been hurt or sinned against, God calls us to forgive. And again, I'm not minimizing that pain and hurt, and God doesn't minimize it either. He has compassion and cares deeply about the challenging hurts and pains we experience in life. But as much as we might think it's so, unforgiveness and bitterness are not justifiable in how we respond to those things. They're not acceptable no matter what our situation may be. And if we refuse to forgive others after we've been forgiven by God so much, God says it's wicked. It's evil. And we need to see it for what it really is. As God's people, we are called to forgive. Those who have been forgiven are to live a lifestyle of forgiving others. That brings me to the second thing I want to draw from this parable, and that is how we are to forgive others. And I think this text gives us at least two practical things to consider in how we are to forgive others. And the first one, I want to look at it briefly, is that forgiving others is God-centered, not centered on me or the other person. You see, even the world knows that unforgiveness and resentment are not wise or healthy. I mean, you can listen to Oprah or Dr. Phil and his nine laws of life, one of which is the power of forgiveness. Or you can go to any therapist, any counselor, and they will all tell you the same thing, that unforgiveness and bitterness is damaging to your soul. And forgiveness has tremendous benefits to our soul and our hearts. And, but what's interesting is that's not what Jesus focuses on in this parable at all. See, because forgiveness is first and foremost about me and God. It's my relationship with the king that calls me to forgive. See, I forgive those who sin against me because I want to honor God and please Him in how I respond. I forgive others because I'm aware of how much the grace of God has come and granted forgiveness to me. See, forgiveness is primarily an issue between me and God. 
rather than between me and the other person. And so while I extend forgiveness to those who have hurt or offended me, forgiving others is something I do before God and to God. See, forgiving someone really doesn't involve the other person directly at all. See, it's so important that we keep a vertical orientation in how we deal with this issue of life because it's that vertical orientation, keeping this as something about me and God. It's God that I choose, want to honor and obey when I choose to forgive. It's God's mercy and grace that I need to be aware of to motivate me to forgive others. And unless I, if I don't keep that vertical orientation that way, then I will by default deal with you like me and you horizontally and see here's the thing our human default when we deal with people horizontally when it becomes about me and you I'm always going to want to give you what you deserve and the only way I won't do that is if I reorient myself to do this make this about God So forgiveness is first and foremost about honoring God and representing the grace of his gospel to others. Second practical thing I think we can draw from this parable is that forgiving others is to be from the heart. Verse 35 says we are to forgive one another from our hearts. See, we're to forgive all those who have sinned against us or hurt us genuinely in our hearts. And, and the first thing I want to say is this, this doesn't require that the other person be sorry or repentant first. See, a lot of times I think we think to ourselves, well, if they would just come and apologize, if they would just come and acknowledge they're wrong, then I'd forgive them. I think God would say, no, that's not the way it works. In Mark eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus says this. He says, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Jesus says, when you stand praying, there's the vertical orientation. This is about me and God. He says, forgive if you have anything against anyone. There's no conditions, no requirements. They don't need to come and apologize. They don't need to come and tell you they were wrong. Jesus says, anything against anyone, forgive. Because it's about you and God. And now there will be times when God calls us to go and reconcile a relationship that has been affected by some offense. But if we're going to pursue relational reconciliation with someone who has sinned against us or hurt us, it's really critical that we deal with our heart forgiveness toward that person first before God. Because forgiving them in our hearts, it'll position us to handle that attempt to reconcile in a gracious, God-honoring way. 
See, here's the thing. If, if you don't work through the forgiveness in your heart first, when you go and try to talk to that person, you're going to find yourself getting hostile, defensive, you know, because you haven't really dealt with the heart issue first. So if we're called to forgive others from the heart, how, how does that work? Well, first, let's consider a little bit about what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is a choice that we make in our will. <clears throat> forgiveness is not a feeling. I can't tell you how many times as I've talked to people about forgiveness, I would hear people say, I can't forgive that person. I just don't feel like I can do it. And I, I get it. There can be a lot of powerful feelings connected to the hurts and offenses that we experience in life. But here's the problem. If you wait till you feel like forgiving someone, you'll never get there. Because it doesn't work that way. Forgiveness is a choice that we must make in our desire to honor God in view of His grace and mercy and forgiveness to us. We choose to forgive another person. And as we do that, then the feelings will change as that unfolds over time. And if you think that seems impossible to do, well, you know, the truth is we do it all the time. I mean, my guess is there were some of you here sitting here this morning that when you got, when the alarm went off or you woke up to come to church today, you probably said to yourself, you know, I don't feel like going to church today. But what did you do? You got up, you got dressed, and you're here. And so we, we, all the time, we make choices to go against how we feel. I don't know about you, but, you know, if you've got to get up early in the morning and the alarm clock goes off, there are times when you don't feel like getting out of bed. But you do. So forgiveness is a choice we make in our will to do something regardless of what our feelings may be saying to us. So what is that choice? Let me give you a little definition of forgiveness that I like to use. <clears throat> forgiveness is choosing to accept and bear the consequences of someone else's sin against you <clears throat> while not holding them accountable to you for what they did. So let me unpack that a little bit. There are really two parts to that definition. First part is choosing to accept and bear the consequences of someone else's sin against you. Well, see, here's the thing. You're going to live with those consequences one way or the other. You can't go back and change what's happened. You can't go back and change the past. The only choice you have is whether you will live with those consequences in the bondage that comes from resentment and bitterness or in the freedom that comes with forgiving. That's really the only choice you have. And the second part of that definition says, while not holding them accountable to you for what they did. And here's where I think we can really get 
caught up and have a problem with forgiving. Because we can, we can feel like that if we forgive, we're just letting this person off the hook. They're, they're just going free for the wrong that they did to us. And it feels unjust. It's not right. It's like that young lady saying to me, he doesn't deserve it. And there's a sense in which she's right. But here's the thing. When we forgive someone, we're we're not letting them go scot-free. We're not letting them off the hook. What we're really doing is we're relinquishing our right to be the judge, jury, an executioner for that wrong. And we're turning them over to God and let him handle those offenses. Because you see, here's the thing. God's God's the only one who can perfectly and always justly bring every wrong to account. And so when we choose to forgive, we're not letting people off the hook. We're putting them on God's hook and letting him handle that situation. In Romans 12, 18 and 19, the Apostle Paul says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You see, God has designed things so that he's the one who is judge, jury, and executioner. Not us. And the problem is when we try to do something that we weren't created to do, something that's God's job, and we try to do God's job and we weren't created to do that, it never goes well for us. And so for forgiveness to be real and meaningful, it has to be genuine and done in the reality of our hearts. And so it's not just saying the right words of forgiveness or even, even just being sincere in our wanting to forgive someone. To forgive from our hearts means being willing to face the fullness of the truth and how what that person did has affected us and how we feel. And only then, in the face of the fullness of that truth, can we genuinely choose to fully forgive someone for how they have hurt or offended us. You see, a lot of times when I'm working with people around this issue, I, I run into situations where people think they've forgiven someone, but yet they really haven't fully and completely because they haven't really, they they were genuine, they were sincere in their wanting to do that, but because they only kind of scraped the surface and they didn't really touch into how that really impacted them and affected them, then as sincere as they were, their forgiveness wasn't complete, it wasn't fully real. Because it wasn't done in the face of all that they feel about how that affected them. I think this is a little bit like the principle of Jesus in Gethsemane. And what I mean is, 
you know, if you sort of track through the Gospels, you would see that when Jesus, for weeks before he was going to be arrested and crucified, he told his disciples again and again exactly what was going to happen to him. That he'd be arrested, he'd be tortured, he'd be crucified. And yet, in none of those times do we ever see the slightest hesitation, the slightest lack of resolve, the slightest struggle with that. Until that night in Gethsemane. And on the night before when he was arrested, as he was in that garden, we see a totally different picture. Jesus is in agony praying. He's sweating blood. He is in so much distress and agony. And he's praying, Father, if there's any way possible, please let this cup pass from me. Why? Why is that night so different than all the other times? Well, here's why, I think. I think because that night, God gave him a view of the fullness of what he was going to experience on that cross the next day. All the, not just the physical horror, but the the horror of taking on the sin of millions of people, the most evil imaginable things, and bearing the wrath of God for that. And Jesus saw that full in the face that night in Gethsemane. And the reason why he had to see that is because if he was going to willingly enter into that furnace of horror for us, He had to see it so the choice could be real. So that his willingness to do it could be in the full knowledge of all that that would mean. And it's kind of like that with forgiveness. If we're going to fully forgive someone, we need to be willing to look full in the face of how what they've done has affected us and hurt us so that we can make that choice in genuineness. And so, just as a practical thought, when you are choosing to forgive someone before God, tell God specifically the things that person did that were hurtful to you, name them specifically, and tell him how those things made you feel. And sometimes that can just be a helpful way to just get in touch with all that may be inside of us in relationship to that. So how can we know? How can we know if we haven't truly forgiven someone genuinely and completely from our hearts? Well, let me just give you three clues. There's more we could talk about. Let me just give you maybe three clues that can, they don't have to be, there can be other reasons, but these are things that can indicate that your forgiveness towards someone may not be complete. First one, is if you keep bringing up a past hurt or offense either to someone or in your thinking. In other words, if every time you get in a conflict with your spouse, you keep bringing up that thing that they did two years ago, or if you're not bringing it up to them, you're rehearsing it in your mind. That can be an indication that there's still some work you need to do in forgiving. 
Number two, if you blame someone for problems or difficulties or some situation you find yourself in, in other words, if there's something you're unhappy about in your life situation and there's a person that you keep thinking about that you blame as being responsible for that, that can be an indication that your forgiveness towards that person is not complete. I'll give you one more. If you're quick to get defensive or angry with someone or think negatively about their motives and character when you don't know all the facts. In other words, you're, you, you, when you talk with this person, you just find yourself just quickly getting irritated with what they do and say. And you just feel yourself defensive whenever you're around them. Or, or you, just, you just always think the worst towards them. You know, you, always, you, you don't give them the benefit of the doubt. You always think the, the worst possible way of thinking about their motives or their character. I mean, these things can be clues that we may still need to do some work in the area of forgiving someone. In Ephesians 4, 31, 32, Paul says this. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. <clears throat> Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You see, these things he mentions there, these are things that are often kind of the, the fruits of unforgiveness, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, conflict, slander, speaking negatively about someone, malice, having bad intent in our heart, bad attitude towards them in our heart. And so if we're going to forgive people fully, completely, be free from the effects of that, we need to be willing to forgive from the heart. If I could have the worship team come and join me. You know, God's command for us to forgive others, it's, it's not just for his glory. It is also for our good. You know, going back to the story of the young lady that I worked with, as the weeks continued to unfold and we, I would continue to kind of get with her from time and still tried to do the best that I could and being helpful to her in that. And I kept appealing to her at times about the need to forgive her father and her mother. And there came a point where she made the decision to do that. And I, I remember the day as she sat there and um, she was sobbing and weeping and just you could just feel the power, the emotion of that moment as she walked through and made the choice to extend forgiveness to them. And I, I remember she, there was so much emotion there that she, she was kind of holding a tissue in her hands as she was going through this. And I don't think she was aware of it, but she, she literally shredded that tissue as she was doing this. I mean, it was just a powerful moment. But that moment would change her life because she walked out of there a different person than when she came in. And, and while the road wasn't always easy ahead as she continued to work through this, that was the beginning of God being able to bring healing and restoration to those wounds and scars 
that she had experienced because of those things. And her choice to extend forgiveness that day not only greatly honored God in how she represented his grace and mercy to her, but it was one of the most important things she could ever do for her own good and well-being. See, those who have been forgiven are to live a lifestyle of forgiving others. But only God's grace and power can enable us to do that. And the good news is God is for us as we seek to forgive others. He was for that young lady and with her that day as she forgave those who had so deeply hurt her. And he is for and with us as we choose to forgive those who have hurt or offended us in some way. And he will meet us with the grace and help that we need as we seek to honor him in forgiving those we may need to forgive. Because when we do, we reflect and imitate the amazing grace of his forgiveness that has come to us in the gospel. So who do you need to forgive? Is there someone that you need to go and talk to because you know there's an offense that hasn't been resolved? I mean, if there are names or faces that have come to your mind this morning as I've talked about this, maybe it's someone in your family. I mean, our closest relationships are often those that provide the most opportunity for hurts and offenses to take place. Or maybe it's someone in your church family. Or maybe it's someone on your job or at your school. Whoever it may be, will you choose to fully and genuinely forgive them from your heart first before God? And then if there's a need to, Will you go and as far as it depends on you, seek to do what you can to make peace with that person and restore the relationship? And if forgiving others who have hurt or sinned against you, if that's a struggle for you to be willing to do that, I believe God would remind you to take a good, long look at the grace and forgiveness you've received. To think about it, dwell on it, meditate on it. Let that be where your attention is drawn because the more we live in awareness and appreciation of His amazing grace to us, the more we will want to please Him and honor Him by living a lifestyle of forgiving others. So let's stand, and as we close, let's sing this song, just asking God to work that kind of grace in our lives.